As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Coming up, Steve Clark's pair of draws... The Don's Dynamic Jewel and Mora Brora. Yeah? Do you like that? I might just leave it. And just when you're getting excited about one major tournament, another competition comes along and kicks you straight in the boys. Alongside me, an Aberdeen supporting journalist who's carefully checking everything he ever wrote about Scott Brown. It's JJ Bull. Hello, JJ. So called journalist. So called. So called journalist. That's what you say to journalists on the Twitters. Yeah. So-called lazy journalist. You're just cold. That's what you are. (laughs) Uh, And long-suffering Scotland fan, Laura Brannan. And quickly to you, Laura, just looking at your senior producer hat at Motherwell, last week the club came out with a a really powerful video, to be honest. Cole, Bevis McGabby, Charles Dunn and Sherwin Seedorf talking about... their experiences with racism. Can you just tell us um, what the response has been? Yes. Hello. Um, and yeah, it's, <laughs> well, I put my domestic football hat back on shortly. Um, yeah, it's gone down really well, to be honest. Um, it was just a nice, if anyone's not seen it, it's a, a nice relaxed chat amongst friends, really. They just kind of chat amongst themselves. It's a 10 minute video and they recall their own experiences of racism, be it in the shops. Uh, while they're driving at school, um, running their own businesses, as well as in football as well. And there's a kind of range of um, racial abuse on social media from players on the pitch and also from fans in the stands. It's kind of, it kind of crosses, it kind of ticks off everything in terms of different avenues that they've suffered in their lives, right from childhood up until present day. And it's a really difficult watch, I think. I think that's what most people are saying. Most people have been saying it's really good and it's good that the club have done it. Um, it's really educational and insightful, but it's also a really tough watch just because of what they're saying and and how it's still happening in this day and age. Yeah, it's funny because it always gets, it seems like it gets picked up on in football, but when you watch this video, it, they, they go in depth into just their normal everyday life and it's really quite yeah, I, I heartbreaking think sometimes. Even if you, you don't want to watch the whole thing, um, you need to watch it for Sherwin Seedolf's story about when he was seven years old at school back in Holland because it is heartbreaking what a teacher can do to a little boy who doesn't even know what racism is when he's seven years old the, the things that he got put through um, and as a result had to reset the year because he wasn't educated well enough mm. because as a direct result of a racist teacher it is, it's a horrible story but full credit to him for actually for actually seeing it and telling the group yeah, it's it's worth a watch. Uh, anyone who's listening to this now, just um, get across those channels and uh, just have a little watch of it. But coming up later, we are going to be joined by Brora Rangers manager Stephen Mackay and what's been a pretty quality week for them. We'll also hear from the Athletics man in Atlanta about what Aberdeen can expect from Stephen Glass. But let's start with Scotland coming from behind three times in a week. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. They hold an advantage over Scotland here with a door Perrette's goal, but hang on because here's Jay Adams. Adams slips it across for Fraser! And that is more like it! Scotland show their powers of recovery again! 
Scotland began their World Cup qualifying campaign with two draws out of two, a 2-2 with Austria at Hamden on Thursday, and then a 1-1 with Israel in Tel Aviv on Sunday. So JJ and Laura. <sighs> I mean, I'll go to you first, Laura, because you are the super Scotland fan uh, amongst us all. Me, personally, felt quite upbeat after the first game, even though it was a draw, but you weren't so like-minded. No, this is this has been a poor couple of days. Um, I, I don't know, I think I'm maybe being a wee bit more pessimistic than most Scotland fans, but I think I'm also being more realistic as well. Um, and I think people fail to see the bigger picture when it's only two games into a tournament. Let's let's get this straight. We have to win this group for automatic qualification. And let's be honest, this is the easiest route that we have ever had in qualification in my lifetime. Um, in, in recent decades, this is a winnable group. Second place gets you a playoff. And in all honesty, a playoff would be against a harder team than any of the teams in our group. So it's the easiest route would actually be to top the group and win automatic qualification. To do that, you have to win all your home games. And then you have to look at pulling surprise points away from home your home game against Austria who are a very equal team I would say to Scotland also when you base it on the performance as well and the penalty award that um, we should have got I just think it was two points dropped Uh, it was so disappointing and on hindsight of the two games I'm more annoyed at dropping points at home to Austria than I was away to Israel maybe you know more points dropped because yeah, I kind of felt like if we could get three points against Israel, that would make up for for um, not winning against Austria. But JJ, do you think that it's all doom and gloom or, or were you happy with what you saw in the field? I mean, I kind of agree with what Steve Clark said at the end, which was mostly nothing. Like, we don't know. We don't know how much it's going to affect us until the end of the group. So you don't know if it's going to be real a huge loss having had it. I think we could have beaten Austria. I think Austria could have beaten us. So to take a point was... All right. Obviously, if you want to win the group, you have to win. But I just don't think we're going to win that group. Like Denmark, are just I think they're just too much better. And I think Austria are a better team. We have okay players and that, but it's still not quite. I don't know. We're not. I don't think we're as good as like Laura wants us to be. <laughs> I, I think. I actually I disagree. I think I think that the problem is a lot of people think we're better than we are. Um, you reckon? Yeah, I think maybe. I don't want to. You're the ones saying we should win the group. I don't want to bl- blame the players for maybe getting too carried away, but I think fans are maybe getting carried away with um, the, the obviously the Euro success. But I don't think... Are you referring to yourself not, here, saying that we should win no, the group? No, absolutely not. No, I, I don't think for a second. I think we're a very good team. We're not world beaters. Um, but when you look at it, um, Austria and um, Israel are very equal in terms of, when you look at the Nations League there, just, just the one p- pass at the end of last year, we were all around League B, all around the top of the table, all fighting for that playoff spot. Uh, we were all very equally placed. And it, we all know that Denmark is the lesser of the pot, the seeded pots as well, the top pot. So um, I think it's fair to say that three, if not the four teams, are quite evenly placed in this group. And I don't think that's a complacency creeping in. But I think more people, other people, might think that we have a divine right to be beaten teams, which we don't. We don't have. <laughs> But I think it's also harsh that, uh, JJ, you're saying we're not a very good team. We are a very good team. We have very no, good individual players. I say we're all, we're all right as a team. Like, Denmark are much better. Denmark are ranked higher than Germany and Holland in the like, FIFA rankings. Like, Switzerland, they're ranked higher than Switzerland, who are a really, really good team. It's not that we're... I'm not saying we're particularly bad. We're just not... It's just not a great team. Like, we have good individuals, but the, the, the things we need aren't there. We don't have a real goal scorer. We don't have a great goalkeeper. We don't have a great centre-back partnership. You need the spine of the team. We have good individuals around there. What are you, what are you laughing at? Let, let me, let me um, um, step in um, because we did have a question on Twitter from William McLeish who asked at the Totally Show, is Steve Clark getting the best out of arguably the most talented group of players in 25 years? So there's, there's a, there's a, you know, a, a good sizable amount of fans out there that think this is the best Scotland team that we've had in a long time. So what do you think, Laura? Yeah, individually, um, in terms of players, I think this is the best, the most talented group of players. I don't think Scotland has ever been and probably ever will be judged on their individual talent, though. It's a very much a team game for Scotland. I, and I like that aspect to them. But I don't think he's necessarily getting the best out of his players. We all know the Andy Robertson problem right now. Um, and we're not getting the best out of him. I think we 
we're getting flashes of John McGinn, but we know he can provide so much more. Um, we are not getting the best of Lyndon Dykes right now. I think we, we we got hints of it when he first came in at the end of last year. This campaign so far, we've not seen the best of him. So, no, we're not. Um, and I think it's a wee bit harsh for JJ, though, to say we don't have a spine of a team. Um, we, we obviously are lacking in certain areas. Well, why is that harsh? The goalkeeper would get replaced. There's a good goalkeeper. The defenders, Grant Hanley... And Jack Henry were playing like they're not well, great, right? Come on now, be be realistic. They're not, but can the we midfield, just McTominay and McGinn, good pair, right? really good. But maybe you need a holder. Miss Ryan Jack, I think, in a couple of games we had just there. And then the striker not getting enough at Lyndon Dykes. He's not scored in like twenty games or whatever. Right, hold on. He's well, not a great goal scorer. No, he's not. But that's not his role in the team. Isn't necessarily to be a top goal scorer. So what he does for his club is irrelevant. I think I'm not buying that one. But what you're saying with David Marshall, he's a class keeper. We all know his skills. I think David Marshall's issue is a problem that's haunted him for his whole career is he doesn't actually catch the ball enough. He, he tends to pam it away, um, which is all well and good when you're in a penalty shootout, if that's all that's needed. But it cost us um, the other night against Austria and you can see flashes of it. You're thinking, right, he just, just just catch the ball. So I can see that he's got his issues, but he's more than reliable between the six. Yeah, he's reliable, but that's different, Laura. It's different. Kasper Schmeichel is the Danish goalkeeper. He's one of the best in the Premier League, one of the best in Europe. That's the difference. That's the standard. So, right? JJ, basically, what you're, are you kind of going down the route of um, we need to temper expectation with the well, squad that we have? Sort of. Like I, I agree with Laura. We have a really good ta- like talent there, but that does not make for a great team. For example, like Kieran Tierney and Andy Robertson, two of the best left-backs in Europe. But they're two of the best left-backs. So, like you say, there's a problem there. So, how do you get it in? If we had one good centre-back, like one great one you could build around, it makes a huge difference. We've got McTominay and McGinn, who I really like as midfielders. I'm glad he's playing McTominay in midfield because he's not mm-hmm. a defender. He's an attacking player. Mm-hmm. But it's still like... So, you've got to look at how you create chances. And I agree with Laura again. Like It's a team... that like Scotland had to produce chances as a team. So, how are we going to play? Are we going to sit back and like... That's a low block and try and hit in the counter and play with pace in the wings. If you do that, you need someone in the middle who can poach and score goals. Or are you going to play direct up to a target man, which is what we're doing with Lyndon Dykes. You need runners off him. But then you don't have any width for playing with wing-backs. And you've got... Like, Steve O'Donnell, I thought, had to do far too... Like, relying far too much O'Donnell on that right wing. On, especially in the Israel game. You had him doing all the work in the right wing with no support, especially when Christie came on kept coming inside and on the left you've got Robertson who is a fullback who can play as basically a winger but he's not really a wingback it's slightly different Tierney is a, you don't get the most out of him he was great in the first game against Austria driving through the middle but this is the thing it's all just there's good players there but the, the core bit of the team maybe just quite isn't like we need them so I mean, Steve Clark had to make I mean, I haven't said Steve Clark was a very good manager um, had to make a lot of changes the surprise was Jack Hendry at the back who by all accounts, I've not seen him play. He's had a very good season in Belgium at Oostend. And Grant Hanley, who's had a very good season at, at Norwich. So they, they seem like obvious additions. Were you surprised at some of the, the, the additions, JJ? I'm not sure if I'm surprised at it. Like, I I think... I mean, Laura was saying before on one of the podcasts that like Declan Gallagher went in, once we've had players like that in and you have it settled, then you have a settled team and that's what you should go with. And I, I kind of agree with that. But he's picking it maybe on form, if he's going on Hanley, or what he sees in training. I mean, the team was much better against Israel when we took Hendry off, went to a four, and can press Israel a different way, rather than playing in the same system that has not worked against Israel the rest of the time. That When you play with that three and then the wing-backs, all your width comes to the wing-backs, so you have to rely on that. And you, I just don't think that works. And you need to work out how we create chances. was a point I was trying to make before. Like, how do we create chances? Is it Christie playing a through ball? You need to get him in the position. Is it McGinn making late runs? I don't really know. It's We just kind of cancel each other out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We came up against Israel, and I think a lot of us were expecting to win. But we've, what, we've played them six times in the last two and a half years. We've only won one of those games. So Israel are, are, are a side that we shouldn't really be thinking that we can, we can beat easily. But it is disappointing, Laura. I, they are good and I, I kind of heart back to what I was saying I think they're quite equal with us um, I mean like we know we've played them a lot it's getting a wee bit boring this pattern of oh I've been to Israel more times than my parents house in the last year right we get, we get it right we get it we've played them quite often but the more we hammer home that we've played them quite often I think the more embarrassing it gets that we still haven't worked out how to beat them they've worked out how to contain us and make life difficult for us whereas 
I mean, it's Marciano and goals. It's the Hibs goalkeeper. We should be getting the better of him. But the problem is, we're not even getting anywhere near him. We're, we're not getting enough chances in front of goal. And that's so frustrating because when it, I remember when it came down to the penalties in the semi-final playoff, thinking to myself, I had to try and keep reassuring myself, it's fine, it's a Hibs goalkeeper and goal. There's, there's bear keepers out there, we can beat him. But when you're not getting an inch in front of him, it's not good enough. We, and yes, I, I kind of go back to... Is we've no divine right to win away from home, especially in a place like Israel. I imagine it was actually quite warm as well last night, which I don't think many people have maybe taken into consideration. But for a team that we've played so often, home and away, we need to be analysing them better and breaking them down more because it's, there was not really any real changes or surprises in the team to really challenge us any differently to what it's been like in the last couple of games. Yeah, like I was, I was looking at this, I went through like how come Belgium all of a sudden went from having nothing to being a, like the, the number one ranked team in the world, right? And I was looking at how Iceland managed to qualify, and like the teams that win international tournaments. There's a thing that Dan Zakiri wrote in the Telegraph uh, this week, this Friday, but teams that do well in international tournaments um, tend to be quite defensive, so they win by basically focusing on not conceding goals. Even Spain, the great Spain team of like 2014, was it they won 2012, mm-hmm. 2010. Whichever one, the amazing one was when they won it. But it's all about, like, so, you know, they pass the ball around a lot, they keep the ball, and that's how they defend, because they defend by keeping the ball. And then they've got, like, Torres and people like that who can penetrate. Whereas Iceland were able to keep it really tight and compact, and they had Gilfie Sigurdsson, who can smash a free kick or get a corner in, and they take advantage of those small chances. When, like, Northern Ireland qualified for the Euros, same sort of thing. Compact, low block, play on the break, take your chances, and you grade that kind of momentum. Now, I don't know... Because that's one of the things I think some people thought when Clark came in, maybe we'll be a bit like that. There was even uh, talks about getting Michael O'Neill in, you know, as the manager, to try and play in that similar, similar sort of way, where you take decent players, but you play them in that Atletico Madrid way where all they want to do is defend and you, it's really annoying for teams to play against and you want to break them down. But if you do that against Israel and don't create, then suddenly you think you want to play in a different way and be expansive and open up. And when we pressed Israel, we're able to get a bit more out of them and keep them back and they were having to clear the ball. But then you're lacking maybe the players who can create with those short passes they play some nice little combinations and, and there's some good passing going on I think Ryan, Ryan Fraser even talked about it in his post-match but there's something just not we just don't quite have I think maybe we play like that we don't have the striker to make the runs I think Shea Adams was really good when he came on against Austria and just it's his movement so like not even the way he holds up the ball whatever else that the, the cliche expect it's the way he moves he moves towards the ball and darts off it just to create a little bit of space to get in behind and he was doing it constantly and the link up was really really good and that will get him goals if we can get him into those positions but now like the XG for like Israel was something like 0.6 to 0.7 it was just there's nothing created what about what about Shea Adams because he kind of played that central striker role He's a bit more of a supporting striker for, for Southampton. I, w- I wonder what you think maybe about the partnership of him and Lyndon Dykes in, f- in future. Because we had what Stuart Armstrong in the first game against Austria and then that changed to Ryan Fraser in the second game in that, in that role on the left side. I just wonder if Shea could operate on either side with, with Lyndon down in the middle. Maybe, but the thing I don't like about this, as soon as I hear people say they want to play them both up top, if you play two guys who are like that kind of target man, even though Adams is, moves a lot more, he's, mm-hmm. he can be a poacher, can be support, how do you create chances for them? Suddenly you've got to play it long to one of them, so you're playing long ball football, which means you've got to work out how you're going to win the second ball, and which maybe you need to play a higher line to try and mop that up. And then it also means that your chances come from wide crosses. Now, like economically, you don't create many chances from crosses in front of the 18-yard line, crossed into the box for headers. It's old. That's old football. So you want to try and hit early crosses in, and you don't really need a target man there because the people who score goals from early crosses are the ones who make runs across defenders. And you can do that mm. with runners, people like John McGinn, which is one of the reasons he scores many goals. So, like, mm. it's just, it would be a bit, not archaic, but I'd kind of football I don't want to see. Maybe it would work. Who knows? <laughs> we, we, we did get to enjoy an amazing moment in the Austria game. Uh, yes, we came back twice. Grant Hanley got the first header, but then John McGinney Esther with an overhead kick. I mean, I know he thought he was offside, but thank God he wasn't. <laughs> and, and I'm going to hold on to it, Laura, but I, I don't know. You might just focus on the result more so <laughs> than anything else. But surely you enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. You, you can't not enjoy a goal like that. Since when did Scotland screw overhead kicks? It's a, I know. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. I, I, I found it quite interesting that he kept saying, uh, I, I looked over to see if I was offside. I wasn't sure if I was offside. But no one really clarified if he actually did that because he thought he was offside. <laughs> and he just thought, well, I've got nothing to lose here. Because <laughs> I think that would have been an even better story if that was the case. 
it's one of the things he said, Laura, after after the match, because he, he said, um, I think the first interview he came out and said that uh, without VAR, he probably wouldn't have done that because he just, just thought he was offside and not hit it, which is really interesting because he mm. knows they're used to playing to the whistle in Premier League now. That's why he went for the shot because he knew, well, he might as well, it might count, you don't know. <laughs> That's one of the good reasons. Uh, that's really interesting. I, yeah. I love John McGinn. I think he's so down to earth and such a nice guy that you can't help but like just appreciate everything he does that little bit more because you're just like, yeah, you're you're like one of us and you're scoring overhead kicks for Scotland in a World Cup qualifier. You're doing everything. You're living our dream. What's his name? I think he Meatball. probably... Was that yeah, it? I was going to say, he probably <laughs> appreciates McGinniesta more than Meatball, but there you go. It is, it is quality. Um, I don't know where he got that from. Does anyone know? No, I don't know. I assume it's because his body type makes him look a little bit like a meatball, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's his meat. Actually, right? Maybe he looks going, good in sauce. I was going through old um, <laughs> photos off my hard drive and I actually found a photo from 2014 and it was when mm. I worked at a radio station and I actually covered a St Mirren um, thing where the players were at a, a local college and they were going for like um the beauticians courses and stuff like that and they were getting um, their hair washed by these like st- students and i just noticed that john mcginn was one of them and i was like oh, i didn't even know i'd ever done anything with john mcginn in terms of like work or anything in the past and it was just nice here he was getting his <laughs> hair <you> lathered <laughs> <laughs> um so let's get a bit more reaction from what, what we heard um from the players we heard from mctominay he, he spoke that scotland need to be more ag- arrogant. He said, it, it's not would have and could have, it should have. Um, and I suppose he has been probably, I, I thought he was excellent in bo- both games, to be honest. He was like you said, JJ, magic, yeah. I mean, Steve Clark started playing him in a defensive three um, at the back and it, everyone was surprised about this, but he looked really, really like that was, that was his area of the field that he just commanded his athleticism his aggression just the way that he commands uh, midfield i think he has to cement his place in that area of the pitch don't you agree yeah i hope so i thought yeah i thought he was especially against austria i thought he was outstanding properly just like he's fully arrived now there was always like you kind of work out is he gonna be a good player is he, when's he gonna like he's he's there he's here mm. uh yeah what do you think laura I saw an interesting tweet, and I'm sorry, I don't know, I can't remember who wrote it, but um, they said something on the lines of, um, McTominay plays better in midfield, but Scotland play better when McTominay's in defence, which I think is quite interesting. I Honestly, I would take McTominay anywhere. Um, I'm not fussy between the two of them. I think he's brilliant. I think he can do a job in either place. He's maybe a little bit more nervy in defence, because it's not natural for him, but mm. we've seen him more than more than enough pull it off as a result. Let's talk about Wednesday then, because we've got the Faroe Islands. I mean, there has been moments in the past where we've been slightly unfortunate results against them, draws albeit, but we shouldn't be losing on Wednesday, Laura. This is a definite win, right? Absolutely should not be losing on Wednesday. Jesus, if we lose on Wednesday, (laughs) let's just pack up. (laughs) No, we shouldn't, no. Um, I think it's a given we need to get 12 out of 12 from the Moldova and Faroe Islands games. That is is absolutely no less than 12 acceptable there. Scotland, though, there's absolutely no say um, in what will end up of those four games. I can see signs of Georgia all over again coming back to haunt me. Um, But, I mean, when you see the likes of Denmark beating Moldova 8-0, at the weekend, you just think, God, we're going to have to... We, we need a big result like that. I'm not saying we need to go out and win 8-0, but I think I think we need a high-scoring game just to kind of not make up for what happened in the last two games, but just to kind of bring the good feeling back, if anything at all. Goals could be important, JJ, as well, right? Yeah, what is the last high-scoring game that we've had? I mean, probably the San Marino game. San Marino was 6-0, wasn't it? Yeah, and I remember Malta was a few years before that. It was, six, well. it was six nil, and everyone was still raging. <laughs> we should be beating. We should be absolutely pumping the Faroe Islands, but we know it'll be two nil. <laughs> and actually, by the way, Faroe Islands aren't that bad anymore. They've they've really improved. Well, they took the lead against Austria. Yeah, they're yeah. not bad, and and they like they're focusing on the things they're good at, which is mostly set pieces. It looks like there's the kind of game where either Scotland should go in being arrogant, or maybe they shouldn't go in. I'm not sure oh which God. they should. I, I don't want to see too many changes either. I don't want to disrespect them too much. Um, I get we need to rotate and stuff and make the most of our squad, especially with the Euros coming up. But I don't want it to look as though, oh, we're just resting our boys because it's just the Faroe Islands. 
yeah, absolutely. Play your best. Play your best players. Play. I'd like players. a high press four two three one. Play like that, and yeah, I just like it more. Just... Yeah, absolutely. Let's all just be thankful, everyone, that this isn't the totally Irish football show. Because they lost to Luxembourg. Yes. And for once, it wasn't us. And our producer is, <laughs> is born in Luxembourg. Producer Charlie, Luxembourg legend. Up next, a dramatic week at the Dons. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your 4-plus-fold acre lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg on an exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begamblerware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. What a week it's been at Petodre. Since we last spoke to you, Aberdeen announced the appointment of former player Stephen Glass as manager. And there was also a high-profile assistant who we will discuss shortly. But we're joined now by the Athletics Atlanta United reporter, Felipe Cardenas. We know Stephen Glass was manager of Atlanta United 2, which is the second team of Atlanta. And he said he was leaving the best club in the United States. Are they the best club in the United States? I mean, it really depends on who, who you ask that question to. <laughs> I mean, very clearly. Uh, they're, they're only a four-year-old club, and they're, they're entering their fourth year in MLS, so it's difficult to just automatically call them the best club in America. There are more established uh, MLS clubs like the Los Angeles Galaxy who have won five MLS Cups. No other club has done that. Atlanta United, just they came in in 2017, and they were just extremely ambitious in, in their spending. They brought in a great coach and. Uh, Tata Martino, who's now the coach of the Mexican national team. They brought in great players like Miguel Almiron, who's now, you know, I guess he's at Newcastle. So I don't know if that's a huge upgrade, but he is at Newcastle. He made it to the Premier League. He's a great player. And they won an MLS Cup in their second year. So in, in that sense, they are a top club in America. And they've become a top club in North America because they're one of the highest spending clubs in the league. I'm going to geek out for a wee bit here. Um, I love MLS and I have a really soft spot for Atlanta because in my last job, I actually went over there to film a documentary. So I kind of have a soft spot for the club. I've got my own like Atlanta top and everything from when their games are on. But I don't know too much about Atlanta too. So like, what's their kind of style of play? Is it, is it similar? Is it the same ethos the whole way through the club for the, the, the first team and the, the kind of B side? That's that is the idea. It's difficult though because the reserve side in in MLS, like MLS reserve sides, don't play against other MLS reserve sides necessarily. They play in what is equivalent to the MLS second division, which is called the USL, United Soccer League. It's like the championship, if you will. Um, and there are very established clubs there, clubs that have been playing for you know, decades in the, in the United States soccer system. Uh, and so Atlanta United 2 is, yes, it's, it's, it's the first team's reserve side, but they're playing in this pretty competitive league. And so they're, they're matching up against very experienced players. And so it's difficult for a new club like that to just all of a sudden establish a, a, a style of play, uh, a, a distinct identity on the field. But that has been the goal in Atlanta from day one. Uh, I think the the challenges, and especially for Stephen Glass, has been that Atlanta has gone through several managers. So they had Gerardo, you know, Tata Martino for the first two years. You know, he had a very distinct, high pressing, counter attacking, progressive style of play. But at the same time, the reserve side was just up and coming. They sometimes they didn't even have, you know, a lot of players, and they were bringing young players from the academy. So. It's been difficult, you know. Then they 
they bring in Frank DeBoer, and Frank DeBoer had a totally different style of play uh, in which he struggled to implement in Atlanta. Um, and they had another coach. That's when, at that same time, Stephen Glass comes in. And Stephen Glass has like a very a distinct attacking philosophy. It's something that he wanted to do. Uh, and so it's the goal is that to have one identity, one like a DNA style of play that permeates from academy, reserve, and first team. But I would say that it's still a work in progress. Um, and now they have a new coach at the first team again. They have Gabriel Hainse who's come in and he'll kick off his, you know, his first campaign in, in just under a week. So it's definitely like a moving target at times as far as establishing uh, that philosophy. But it is the goal of the club to do that. One of the, well, actually, what probably the main pushback on especially Aberdeen fans on Glass being appointed is that his record doesn't read very well for his time as interim coach of the first and of the second. Do you think that's something people need to worry about? I don't think it should be. I think it should be recognized. Yes, because this is a you know this is a results based business. Football is all about results. Uh, you know, championships, titles, trophies. Even in the seconds. Well, it, that's the thing. The the USL, and you know, I spoke to Stephen Glass for a feature I wrote for The Athletic in the summer of 2019 where we discussed this very specifically, and he was very candid about it, that his role as the coach of Atlanta United 2 was not to win the USL championship. There are clubs in that league that perennially live and die to win that championship and qualify for the US Open Cup, which is the FA Cup of U.S. soccer. It's it's the, the the oldest championship and tournament in, in the U.S. And so Atlanta United 2 was not expected to challenge for that championship. It was meant to develop players. It was a team that was there in order to bring down first-team players that needed playing time, that needed minutes, or that were recovering from injury and needed to get back into rhythm. And so uh, at the same time, you know, you want to win games. And so, you know, Stephen Glass had a lot of young players. He told me in that feature that at times he didn't even have enough players, you know, to fully train uh, because of what I mentioned before. This is a team that was still developing that that reserve side. Uh, and so I think that, you know, has to be considered when you look at his win-loss record and, and the amount of goals that the team conceded and the amount of goals that the team scored. What can be said is that, you know, several young players went through that that process with Stephen Glass, uh, made it to the first team as well. And, uh, you know, that's important. I think that is the the, the, the process and the, and, and the point of Atlanta United 2 is to develop players. And that's something that Stephen Glass honestly did very well. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering if it's something that specifically Dave Cormack's got in mind we get young players in. And another thing I wondered is that because of the link with Atlanta and Aberdeen, whether there's a chance that Glass getting this job now is almost going to be as a like an audition to then go back to Atlanta later on as a as a head coach. Well, that's it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, way to put to to look at it because you know the, the current coach Gabriel Hainsa is is just starting and you know he he just like his one of his predecessors and Tata Martino. Uh, don't typically stay at a club for very long. I mean, this could change all that. You know, we don't know yet. We don't know how successful Haynes is going to be here in Atlanta and MLS. Um, he's already a pretty high-profile young coach that back in Argentina, before his move to MLS, he was, you know, linked and talked about uh, as, you know, a, a candidate for the Argentine national team manager post when it was open at, at the time. Uh, he's been called the next Marcelo Bielsa um, by his former colleagues, his former teammates at the national team level. And, you know, I wrote a recent story for The Athletic about that comparison. Is it fair to compare Hainsa to, to Bielsa at this stage in their career? So, you know, if, if he moves on, if, he is, if Hainsa is successful in Atlanta and, and moves on, he has a two-year contract, you know, so he's on a two-year contract. And at the same time, Stephen Glass is, is successful in Scotland. Well, of course, he would become... You know, a candidate. I think at that point it looks. You know, you, does Stephen Glass want to come back to MLS? Is MLS the league where he wants to grow, or does he want to stay in, in Scotland, in, in the Scottish Premiership, and 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 become, you know, a long-term coach at Aberdeen and, and really make his name as a manager there? That that'll be interesting to to, to look out for. JJ, coming to you first. Got to get the puns out of the way nice and early. Are you a glass half full or glass half empty kind of guy? 
I want to be optimistic about it because that makes for a happier life and um, <laughs> needed a change I think a lot of people would agree and um, but the sound of things Glass is a bit more of an attacking minded coach and I like that um, we have no idea how he's going to be as a manager uh, so that's something to look at what I think is quite interesting is that it doesn't feel like it's really happened is that uh, I think I've talked this before but you know when there's that um, there's that that theory that when they tested the Higgs boson in the uh, in the big the Hadron Collider, it put everyone into a new reality. So we are now in a separate like uh, I don't know what the word is, but separate d- dimension to what we were in before. And there's ways you can prove it with like the spelling of something, like someone's convinced toast is spelled differently, something like that. I think Scott Brown signing for Aberdeen is proof that we are now in one of those different dimensions. <laughs> You'd never ever have seen it, and like I think most people will probably agree that he's exactly the kind of how do I word this uh, not psycho uh, but like total winner like he's just a driven like determined like nutcase who you hate playing against but you want him on your team because he would make you win and that's interesting that he's come as a, one, one of Glass's assistants the other one is rumoured I mean I can't really talk about rumours it's very unprofessional there's noise that Alan Russell is, might be being courted he's currently the England striker coach um, he's a like a 40 year old guy from Glasgow he's, he's, played, he's got a long career yeah, Scottish, yeah. yeah quite a nomadic career he's played everywhere um, but he's meant to be quite a really highly thought of attacking coach which is exactly what I think we'd be looking for could Scott Brown have, have just stayed at Celtic Laura is, would it have been too easy or is this a, a a kind of do we learn a bit more of him about him as a character that he wants a bigger challenge he would maybe have done you know some coaching at the you know under 18s or something but no he wants to test himself a bit more yeah, I feel like maybe he's also, if he'd stayed at Celtic, he might not have actually played on um, and he still feels like he's got something still in the tank. Maybe not quite at the level of Celtic, but still doing a job in the, the Premiership. This gives him that opportunity. I think if you then just switch to take over Celtic's youth team, be it under-18s or, or reserves, it's, you kind of fade away unless you do something extraordinary and... I feel like maybe the only kind of pathway, and I'm based this purely on just previous experiences of seeing it happen to like Kennedy Lennon, that he only really gets remembered when like the Celtic job comes up, um, and and not really a, a different team. So I feel like this is a, a good challenge for him. It's it's pushing him a bit. I think he'll learn a lot more getting out of Celtic and and trying something completely different at another club. Um, and I feel like he's kind of bowing out at the right time as well. Um, he's a Celtic legend. There's there's no doubt in that. He's he's been a hero. He's been a, a, an incredible captain. He's got all the trophies he could ever dream of. Um, and I, I, I've never really had the fact, I've always been a big fan of just his style of play and what he brings to a side, maybe not necessarily on the ball himself, but but off it. So I feel like now he's, he's maybe coming to an end of that at Celtic and I think the fans were kind of getting a wee bit more impatient with him and, and kind of criticise him a bit more on a regular basis. He's slowing down, he's not quite the player he used to be. And I feel like he's kind of, he's, he's bound out at the right time to be remembered as a legend um, instead of fizzling away and the fans kind of eventually resenting you for not being who you used to be. Um, maybe he's learnt from Neil Lennon in that sense and he's, he's going at the right time. And I, I think it's, it's a great move for him. I'm really interested to see what he does. I, I, I'm really intrigued to see him in a different type of role at a different club. You're, you're right to mention it's another person that's leaving Celtic. Um, Peter Lowell, we know, is leaving Celtic as well. That 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 trio, Lowell, Lennon and, and Brown, are now gone Sticking with Celtic, the rumours of Twitter, because they're always true. Roy Keane is the new Celtic manager, is what we're hearing. I've also seen that Eddie Howe is now Bookie's favourite. But Roy Keane or Eddie Howe for you, JJ? <laughs> oh, Roy Keane would be funny. <laughs> yeah, you've, done a, you've done a YouTube video on Roy Keane, didn't you, when he was... Oh, did I? Oh, yeah, the cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's years ago. Yeah, I did. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? I was just saying, I think The Lion King is probably a stronger movie than Aladdin. We can never trust Peter. He always had it in for me. Laura, what? Roy Keane already, how for you? What? Oh, Roy <laughs> Keane would be... I don't know. I'm, I'm saying for the lols, I'd quite like to see Roy Keane just to continue the, the kind of banter years and see just what kind of narratives come off that. I don't know. Um, but I may get a bit sick of it too too quickly um, from a kind of neutral perspective. I'm not sure. Um... He's 
he's oh, oh. Roy Keane for the lols. We'll leave it there. Come on, Roy Keane, Roy Keane for the lols. Sticking with the Premiership, um, you guys that are listening right now should check out this week's Beyond the Headline from the Athletic. It's all about these guys. That was a really worrying time being a Rangers fan, not knowing if you'd have a team to support or not. The Scottish Football League's only acceptable position will be to place Rangers FC into the third division. It wasn't so much a football match you were involved in as a test of manhood. And with your support along the way, we will get back to where we belong. From the bottom to the top, the journey is over. Rangers are back. It all ended spectacularly in Europe when he had an argument with Rangers fans in a bush. It's a huge, huge honour for me to be sat here now to be the manager of Rangers. And, you know, the excitement levels are very difficult to contain at the moment. Drilled by Arfield, Conor Goldson, look at the score again! And he has scored again! And Rangers are in such a good place now! Everybody in Scotland was talking about 10 this at the start of the season and the only number they're now talking about is 55. To get the full story of the fall and rise of Rangers, subscribe now to be on the headline. Yep, that's right. Me and JJ and Finn Marks are in it. Finn, who's joined us on the Totally Podcast plenty of times before. It's the fall and rise of Rangers. Give it a listen. There's four episodes available right now. Um, I've listened to the first one. It's excellent, excellently put together. But coming up, we've got Brora Boss, Stephen Mackay, and what the hell is going on at Hearts? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. Time now to hear from our friends, Paddy Power, courtesy of our best friend, producer Charlie. Charlie, make us nervous. Let's talk about the Faroe Islands on Wednesday night. Yeah, another big game for Scotland at Hamden, and as you'd expect, Steve Clark's side are favourites, heavy favourites, of course. It's Steve Clark, he's a very good manager. What do you expect? Paddy Power makes Scotland 12-1 to 1 on favourites. So don't worry, it's in the bag. Only a fool would back against them. But that doesn't mean the Faroes can't give Scotland a scare, just like they did to Austria. If you want to go for Faroe Islands to open the scoring once again, the favourite in that market is Clement Anderson Olsen, who, as you'll remember, scored a hat-trick earlier this season against Barrytown in the Europa League. He's at 20-1. to 1. As for Scottish alternatives, Paddy Power have Che Adams at 16-5. to 5. Kevin Nisbet is also 16 to 5. Will Clark rotate his striker again? Or how about Ryan Fraser for first goal scorer, someone who scored in his last two Scotland appearances? He's at 11 to 2. Nice. Well done getting that Faroe Islands name out nice and quickly. That's confidence. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stop, you should stop it. Well, the big story on the field in Scottish football last week was undoubtedly Highland League Brora Rangers knocking out championship leaders' hearts out of the Scottish Cup. And I'm delighted to say Brora boss Stephen Mackay joins us now. Stephen, I mean... The club hadn't played since January. I think you'd only had five training sessions. I mean, I'm sure you would have given the players belief that they could win this match, but did you believe it yourself? 
we always believe that in, in football, you know, strange things can happen. Um, and I don't think there's any point of going into a game not believing that, 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 you know, the unthinkable can happen. But that's what it was. It was the unthinkable. You know, you break down the circumstances that surrounded the game in, in terms of our, our preparation. Um, you know, what the boys then went out onto the park and achieved was just you know, quite, quite phenomenal. What was your immediate reaction, that release of emotion? Um, I was just thankful that the final whistle finally came because it was the longest 15 minutes of my life, um, not to mention the additional four minutes that the referee added on um, <laughs> at the end. So I was just, I, I was absolutely, you know, just overwhelmed and, and, and so delighted that the boys had, had pulled off the result um, because they, they, you know, they did incredibly well to, you know, they went to one each and then they got the second goal to make it 2-1 and, and to hold on like they did um, was incredible. And then the, just the feeling of, of just relief and, and just what the boys have, had achieved was just a, a, an amazing feeling. I was listening to the radio and the commentators were saying that the boys were absolutely dead in their feet going into stoppage time. Were they like, was this like the hardest they've ever pushed going into that last kind of couple of minutes? I think it was, Laura. I mean, you know, we had, we had two players. We had Jordan McRae, who who was cramping up severely with 10 minutes to go. We had Tom Kelly, who had pulled a muscle in his thigh. Um, but we'd already made our three substitutions. Um, so he got some treatment um, in about the 80, 82nd minute, I think. And um, he was you know contemplating coming off. But I just said to him in no uncertain terms, he had to stay on the pitch. So... The, the, the players really were dead on their feet and, and you know just giving everything because they knew that there was a possibility that could, they could pull off a massive shock and, and we were just thankful they were able to do that. How like how did you actually do it? Was there a specific um, plan catered towards how Hearts would play against you that you thought you could take on? Do you think they had a big off day against you as well? Yeah, I mean, we, we spoke to the boys before the, the game and, and, and to be honest, we didn't go into too much detail in terms of, you know, guessing the, the the team that they potentially play, how they would set up. We just said, look, irrespective of, of the players that they feel, they're going to be strong, technically gifted players, um, you know, fitter than us. So it was all about our kind of game plan and, and sticking to that irrespective of, of the team that, that Robbie decided to play. So, you know, our tactics, if you like, were essentially just to, to, to bed into the game and, and make it as uncomfortable as possible for the first 20 minutes. Um, historically, we've had Scottish Cup ties up in Brora and we've not started them well and, and we've gifted teams um, opportunities and then goals and it's almost kind of knocked the stuffing out of us and, and relaxed the opposition. So the, the remit was to, to make it awkward for the first 20 minutes for them, you know, get in their faces, restrict the space and if we do get a chance it was important that we took it and then and then Jordan McRae you know it was a half chance at best and, and and you know his finish was was incredible um and then when that shot goes in you then see the, the team starting to believe and thinking hold on a minute you know there's an opportunity for us here um but you know the way the team defended our our back five were phenomenal uh, every single man um, and, and the work ethic and, and everything the guys did in terms of executing the game plan, we, we couldn't have asked for more from them. You're a huge success story, not just for yourselves, but for, for the Highland League as, as a whole. Uh, and I know you've not really played many games this season anyway, uh, and it's the, the, the whole year that everyone has had has been difficult. It must be difficult for yourself to get the players just ready for, for, for everything that they need to do for these games. But, you know, I know you're sitting top of the league. You missed out on getting a chance at promotion this year. But this sort of result kind of highlights the, the, the opportunity that should be coming more often to clubs in the Highland League. Do, do you think you might get a chance at that this season? Yeah, I mean, that's the view, Andrew. I mean, hopefully we do get that opportunity. Um, we we won the Highland League last season, albeit, you know, COVID kind of got in, in the way, but we only had um, five games left left to play and, and the vote to, to award us champions was, was unanimous. So we felt that the natural thing to then happen would be for the playoffs. And, and unfortunately, that didn't happen. And there was talk on reconstruction. And again, that, that didn't happen. So we felt a little bit aggrieved. Um, so then our... our objective for this season was to try and retain our title, win the Highland League and try and get the opportunity to progress through the playoffs. But again, that's 
been taken away from us. Um, our league hasn't officially confirmed that it's going to you know, be cancelled or avoid. But I think just given the, the time that, that, that remains, I don't think there's an opportunity to, to play out the Highland League. So, yeah, we, we would welcome any discussions regarding broader Rangers being involved in the playoffs or anything in relation to, to reconstruction. Because I think I think not just on, on, on Tuesday night, but I think time and time again, our team has demonstrated that we've got a squad that's more than capable of competing at a higher level. Um, and, and we've got a lot of younger players and experienced players that want to play in the Scottish League. And you know, me personally, along with my management team, we want to coach and manage at the highest level possible. Um, we've enjoyed our time in the Highland League, but we feel like it's the time is right now for the club to progress in the Scottish League and for us to try and compete at a higher level. I know it doesn't, it's not like the same long-term benefits but in a way does the other night have that release of enjoyment and celebration did it kind of in a way make up for not having that last season and not having to be able to celebrate the league and, and getting the, the playoff chances because I mean I, I mean I, I know it from from Motherwell's perspective um, we clinched third place in the league and never got to celebrate it um, clinching that European spot and it kind of felt like the chances never really come to release that sort of emotion. Did you feel like that was kind of a build-up of emotion and it all kind of got released that night at full-time? Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean, you know, we were awarded the the league title and, and we celebrated via messages on WhatsApp um, and, and that was the extent of it. We weren't able to celebrate and we still haven't and, you know, such a long period of time has passed that we've not really, well, we haven't, we haven't celebrated it. So, I think you know Tuesday night was a, was a great opportunity for us to to celebrate the result first and foremost, but perhaps a little bit you know in, in terms of winning the league. But I think also Tuesday just reminds us or reminded us how much we we love football. And, you know for that reason that it, it throws up results like that, and um, that's the kind of romance of the Scottish Cup, if you like. But you know we've kind of forgot not not forgotten about, but we have not played football for that long that. It just reminded us how much we, we love playing football and why we play football in the first place. Great to hear from Stephen there. I mean, we should remind people that Brora itself has a population of 800. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on this? Stephen was was quite, you know, quite relaxed about it, really, and saying that he was always prepares his team to, to, to win this, this game. But it's a bit of a shock between ourselves, right? Of course it is. It's... it's- proper romance heartbreak of the cup isn't it it's what you want from the the early rounds of this competition it's what everyone longs for um and i'm kind of from a level perspective hoping that they've just got it out the system and there's no more cup shocks after this and they are the big news <laughs> <laughs> but is this a yeah. shot to glory territory the um, film i'm referring to yeah it, it really is actually um maybe not so much because hearts aren't in the Premiership right now. Um, I think if Hearts were in the Premiership right now, you could probably call it the biggest shock of all time. But with them not being in the top tier, it's just a little bit off the edge of that because you're like, <laughs> you're gonna go. Well, Hearts aren't at their best right now, so no, they <laughs> are not. A wee bit. <laughs> no, they are not uh, because Queen of the South um, beat them as well, three two at the weekend, uh, which was their first competitive win over over them in, since 1963. And SPL Stats came out with a good one as well uh, regarding this result against Brora, that um, Queen Victoria was on the throne the last time Hearts lost a competitive match to a non-league team back in 1900. I, I'm not having stats like this, I'm sorry. It's just, it's just these annoy me because it's like, oh, it's been 27 decades and there's been three queens and two kings and there was no running water the last time dot, dot, dot <laughs> happened. And it's like, well, hold on a minute. How often have they actually played these teams? <laughs> yeah. Well. So uh, there needs to be a wee bit relevance here of the stats. But it, of course, it sounds, it sounds sexy, it sounds nice, it sounds impressive, so that's why everyone always does it. Do you know what? It is a good stat. I don't know why I remembered it all of a sudden. Now Laura's gone on in that uh, little tangent. Was that... Sliced bread wasn't invented until 1928. I don't know. I don't know why this is. So Bruce Forsyth was older than sliced bread. <laughs> the presenter Bruce Forsyth, sadly. Are those the kind of stats you're in for, Laura? No. Oh, no, not having well, it. Although well, Brucey probably ate a lot of bread, so fair play to him. Let's 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 just stick with Hearts though, because look, we know they're going to win the championship. They're going to get back to 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 the Premiership. They've been to a cup final 
well, it was last season's cup final, but in this season, and we've got fans protesting outside Tynecastle. What what are the fans really unhappy about, JJ? Uh, it seems to be um, how good the team is, <laughs> <laughs> and and how well Robbie Nielsen's doing with them. And it's, <laughs> A lot of what I see seems to be that people think that Hearts are just getting where they are in spite of the manager. Like, he's not taking them anywhere, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've gone through so many players over the last little while, and obviously going down a league is going to be difficult. But they're going to win the league. Like, that's going to happen. And I don't know if you can explain, like, the first goal against Queen's, is it Popescu passes? He passes straight to the forward, who then goes in and finishes the goalkeeper. Like, I cannot understand why... It's such a weird thing to have happened. The race has passed it, and there's nothing the manager can do about that. There's nothing you can do as a manager to account for that. That changes the way the game goes, and then if you start all this sort of builds up, and it becomes a problem. And knowing Hearts, you see, I mean, they'll get promoted, and then how long is Nielsen going to have if it doesn't change in the next season? I keep thinking, what's going to happen, especially now that Shea Logan's gone there, <laughs> is that a certain unemployed manager might maybe make an appearance in Edinburgh at some point soon. I feel like there's a, a kind of parallel here to Celtic and Aberdeen's problems this season. Um, this, hearts are kind of a merge of the two. So you've got one side of it where there's this big club mentality. Um, things aren't quite going right for them. It's kind of what we and JJ have been saying about Celtic kind of this season going, well, look, you're in a really good position. You're top of the league. Well, okay, Celtic weren't top of the league, but you're a very successful team um, and you're, you're going to be promoted next season. So just kind of like shut up and enjoy it. You're you're not that bad. But on the flip side of that, it's kind of like the Aberdeen problems where I think there's some problems that run quite deep at the club and that's what the fans are getting more annoyed about than just the, the, the solely their position at the table and, and the, the, the bad cup result because the bad cup result could have happened a completely different week from the Queen of the South defeat and it wouldn't have seemed like the end of the world to them. But I think when you start to consider that there's there's absolutely no youth system kind of in place to to kind of produce this um, these young talents coming through just now. There's no conveyor belt. There's there's nothing there in, in terms of future prospects. Fans aren't happy with Anne Budge. They're, they're not happy with Robbie Nielsen. I don't think they ever really have been. So there's a lot more kind of problems that run deep there. Um, I, so it kind of feels like a cross between the two of what we've been seeing all season. I I, I think. Uh... You know, it was it was never going to be easy for Nielsen because he left Hearts in the first place to go down to England. So coming back was good for Nielsen, but a lot of a lot of Hearts fans um, weren't willing to to accept him back just quite yet. And it's performances at the end of the day, and I think Hearts fans would like to be, um, you know, coasting this league and performing at a much higher level than what they well, are. On that note, like interestingly, if we go back to our old friend, we always come to expected goals. Um, your best friend. Are, yeah, my best friend. I um, wish so- I could be your best friend. Hearts are um hearts are like over overperforming as well. So they're not even <laughs> they're not they're not dominating at all. Like so they've scored fifty goals a season in the championship. Mm-hmm. But XG according to Wisecout reckons it's roughly about forty two point four is where they've got them. That's a big, big overperformance by them. Mm. Defensively they're they're exactly as they should be, and probably where Nielsen started is to make the defence sound. But you think you, you want hearts to be dominating because they're not, not steamrolling it, and they're not even I mean, Dundee's XG is just like two goals below what Hearts are, for example. Well, I remember Hearts played Queens on the telly, and uh, they had to come back from one 0 down as well. So it's, it's these sorts of results and performances are are frustrating for Hearts fans. But um, going back to Broader Rangers uh, and the Scottish Cup, they've got Stranraer on Saturday in the third round. Some other standout ties that we should mention: Dumbarton against Aberdeen for Martin United versus Motherwell uh, and Rangers. That's near me uh, for Martin. Oh, so it is. Yeah, it's Aberdeen, from, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Uh, managed by Laura, former Motherwell player Paul Lawson. Yeah, hopefully it's not written in the stars that he's going to get his glory day. Well, it was certainly written in the script, and that's why I remembered it. Uh, Rangers uh, <laughs> versus Cove Rangers as well on Sunday. Uh, Cove have never played Rangers. That'll be interesting. Uh, but JJ, quickly from you, what has the last two results been between Aberdeen and the Burton? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, I thought you always go one nil, and it was all—it's been one nil the last two results. Oh, I see. I thought you were going to say we'd lost them in the cup. I assume we just lost stupid results in the cup. I don't think you've lost like a... Queen of the South type results. You know those ones. Nah, you haven't lost to Dumbarton in since like nineteen twenty. Ah, um, there we go. I thought yeah, it was what... going to be that we lost a game I'd forgotten about in nineteen ninety four, 
think there's some silly. And I don't have a great stat of like who was number one in the charts at that stage. Sorry, Laura. Anyway, that's it from us this week. Thanks for listening. Thanks, JJ and Laura. Thank you to the Little Kicks. This is the awesome theme song you're listening to now. Steve Mackay as well, your legend. Felipe Cardenas coming all the way from across the pond. We'll be back next Tuesday with producer Charlie again, hero that he is. Have a great week. Stay safe. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and by following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Scottish Football Show is a Money Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.